Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind Comments by Celebs. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. I am. I really liked this episode. What'd you think? I did too. I really enjoyed it. I feel like it was special in a way. I just felt like, obviously there was a lot of sentimental value, but I also thought that even in the moments when they were kind of more confrontational, it was very real. It felt very symbolic of the show ending. And I just thought for the most part, it was a really enjoyable watch. And even the scenes where Kim and Courtney were fighting, it felt so raw and honest that there was still that element of enjoying the show, even if you didn't enjoy the topic of conversation or you didn't enjoy seeing them fighting. Aren't you a little surprised that Courtney allowed that scene to go in? Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I was really shocked, actually. Me too, because I mean, obviously, we'll get into this when we talk about that scene. But when she was talking to Chloe, she made a comment kind of like, why would Kim want to represent me in that way? Basically meaning, why would she want this to be filmed? But at the end of the day, she has a say. She's an executive producer. So I have to say, I guess I give her credit for saying, fuck it, this really happened. And I know I'm going to get absolutely destroyed on social media, but this is real life. Yeah, I was I was very surprised, but I I do I agree. I commend her for putting that in because it is honest. I will also say that I don't know if you feel this way, but for me as the season progresses, I'm finding that it's almost becoming more and more evident how much they're acknowledging that it's the ending season and what I mean by that is just in some of the stylistic choices and it's kind of like this is a weird analogy, but tell me if you get it. It almost has like last day of school energy. Yes, that's such a good point. Right? Yes, I so know what you mean. I'm so glad. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into it. We'll start with the first scene, which is Chloe, Malika, and Khadija, and they're walking around Chloe's new house that's being built. And if you remember, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago when you and I were saying that there were rumors online about Chloe and Chris building two houses basically on the same property, but I was never thought that we would actually get to see the process of those being built. Yeah. And it was so interesting seeing the timeline of when that happened, because we only found out about that fairly recently, but obviously it's been in construction for a very long time. And we know that the time frame that's being given in the show is not matching up to the current based on what we've seen of the aerial views of that property. Right. I mean, listen, I'll tell you one thing. I remember last week we were talking about kind of just the chaotic way with which they move. I really do think that this will be the type of situation where Chris and Chloe are not moving for a very long time. And I feel like that is at least one level of consistency that we can now expect. Yeah, I would I would assume so, but you you do never know with them. That's my dream, living like right next to my dad like that. I feel so lucky for Chloe. I mean, she's gonna and not that she doesn't see Chris as much now, but think about it. I mean, her and True and they can hang out constantly. 
I know it is. It's really special. It's so special. They're all so lucky to be able to live so close. Can I give a hot take also? Yeah. I know we only saw the beginning of the properties being built and they really only took us inside to Chloe's house. It was just a glimpse at Chris's property. Didn't you feel like Chris's looked a little underwhelming? <laughs> I think it's the kind of thing where once we see it done, you'll be taking that back. I There was something about what I was looking at that just seemed very uh, basic. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to be. I really truly think that they are going to do these in a way that they're just breathtaking. Also, you have to remember, obviously, like even when we're talking about this, everything is in a scale that is kind of hard to comprehend for your average person, but let's just put ourselves there for a second. I do think when it comes to their houses, we subconsciously compare it to Kim's property, which is just not a fair comparison. Yeah, we definitely do that or other massive properties that we've seen. My thought of Chris's was less about size and more about stylistic decision. Like it, it looked like a a very typical suburban model home from what we saw. I am sure that it will be different. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, that was like kind of not at all what I was expecting from Chris's vibe. Let's fast forward like eight months to when she inevitably does the architectural digest spread and we're sitting here being like, you know what? I was wrong. I mean, listen, I never had any doubts about the interior. So the next scene is when we're introduced to the plot line of Kim and Scott really kind of figuring out how they want to explain the show to the kids. And this is something we have spoken about so much over the years, just how they're going to do it, how much the kids may or may not know. So I was listening so intently to this entire conversation. I was too. And I know that especially in the last couple of episodes with Scott specifically, I've really been very sentimental about his views on the show and his you know, position in the family and what he wants out of it, all of those things. But this episode and the fondness he feels for the show and the desire to show his kids and make them a part of it and make them really understand how much this has meant to him really, really just warmed my heart. Oh, me too. He was so involved. And they kind of just start out by discussing which kid has seen which. And Kim makes a comment that North is really only getting introduced to the show because of TikTok, because obviously that Bora Bora scene and those sounds that Kim has made from a million different seasons are really going viral. And it was just so funny when she's explaining North coming into her room, making fun of the diamond earring thing. It was kind of meta. Very. And it was such an interesting thing that she had even mentioned that because I know you and I have in the past made the joke about like Mason being on TikTok and all of a sudden wanting his parents to get back together because he keeps seeing score edits or like stand pages wanting them to be together and showing cute edits of them throughout the season. And we were kind of joking about that and the possibility of Mason seeing those things. So knowing that North is also getting served TikTok content of her own family and her mom in these iconic scenes is just, it's something that I think we imagined, but weren't, but wasn't actually sure was happening. And we kind of have confirmation of that now. <laughs> we absolutely do. And I, I really loved how kind of analytical they were getting or just getting down to the nitty gritty of what they would discuss, what they wouldn't. And Kim makes a comment like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't really want to explain who Chris Humphreys is. And I saw that clip being memed so much because that was one of the previews because so many people were retweeting and being like, you know what? Neither do I. That's so funny. Yeah. I, I don't want to have to explain to my kids who Chris Humphreys is. That was such a dark time. Like we don't have to get into it now. But when I think back, that was such a dark time for both of them, honestly, for him and for her. And for us. For everybody, that was just, that was just, I can't believe that happened. You know who weirdly wasn't a dark time though for? 
Courtney and Scott, like they were living life. They were at their probably best place when Kim and Chris were together. I know. I just, I think about this a lot and probably could be its completely own episode, maybe like analyzing every scene that they were in together. But when I think back on it, don't you feel as though, not that the family would have intervened more, but there had to have been some gut feeling that everybody was having of, this is just not right. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I feel like something the family learned a long time ago, which with each individual member of them, is that you can have as many opinions as you want. Every single one of them is going to do what they want to do anyway. Yes. It was funny when Kim and Scott were in the joint confessional and Kim says, recently, my kids have asked to watch the show, but I'm really hesitant. I think that's just because me personally, I'm going to have to explain a lot. And Scott goes, honestly, the only person who did bad shit on the show was me. You have nothing to worry about. I really have some explaining to do. I I was thinking about it as they were saying it, because honestly, out of everybody, yeah, it is definitely the two of them that are going to have the hardest time. Oh, of course. Scott's going to have a very difficult time, but I think something that's special about Scott also is that he will be able to use it as a teaching opportunity for his kids. Yeah, I think for all of them, I mean, obviously with Scott, it's probably the most intense, but there are definitely moments in each of their lives that they're going to eventually sit their kids down and show them. It's just it's just unbelievable. I mean, I know Scott refers to it as kind of like the most luxurious form of home videos or whatever he said. And I always think about that, you know, even no matter how much embarrassment or things that you may have not wanted your kids to see, I think to me, the good always outweighs it because there are so many memories. I mean, I would do anything to watch my mom when she was pregnant and my dad like handling that together. I mean, that's amazing for Mason and the kids. Oh, absolutely. Also, I think there's something about definitely when you get a lot older and you can kind of separate the fact that your parents are people instead of just your parents and to see kind of their antics and the crazy things they did when they were younger. I think there's something really fun about that. Obviously with Scott, those fun moments and those crazy moments are really intertwined with a lot of dark and deep moments. But I think as the kids get older, not only will they be able to understand what was going on at the time in a way that Scott can really teach it and explain it to them. But they can also see some of the ways that like their dad was this fun person that they didn't really get a chance to know that well. Yeah, totally. Also, it was funny when they were kind of talking about the kids' reactions to the show ending because Kim was saying they were relatively unfazed. You know, it doesn't matter that much to them. And Scott was saying, I mean, yeah, they've been kind of born into it. He's like, imagine if we were born with cameras in our face. And I know we all clearly know that, but when they're talking about it, it just for some reason frames it differently. And you really can kind of try to like transport yourself into Mason. And I don't know, it's hard for me to even kind of imagine what that must be like. Yeah. It's, it's impossible to think about unless you know, and also for Mason, when he was a lot younger, I think that he was on camera much more as he's gotten older. Obviously they've protected his privacy a little bit more as well as the other kids. I think there were a lot more kids scenes in the you know, earlier seasons when they were a lot younger versus now. So I'm sure to an extent, Mason's very aware of the cameras being around him, but it's not as much as the rest of the family feels. Right. But I I still think, you know, even if they themselves are not being filmed just every single day to have a camera crew in your home is kind of wild. Oh, definitely. Wasn't it funny when they have the Truman Show realization and you see Kim say true and they both have this moment of like, did we just do something here? Yeah, that aha moment where they're like, why don't we call her that? Why don't we call her Truman? Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, we'll get to the scene when they're at Chloe's house in a second, but I just quickly want to mention that interaction between Chris and Chloe when there's construction and the whole thing, because this kind of sets us up for the plot line about how there's a lot of negativity. And it's interesting. I know it's kind of twofold because one of the things is a little bit more in terms of the way that they communicate with each other. And then the other one that Chloe's talking about is just Chris harping on the negative in general. I never, ever get that sense from Chris. And so for Chloe to talk about it as if it's such a thing that is so present kind of took me by surprise. I don't know if that sounds naive. Yeah, I was actually thinking that as well, where I was like, I can't really specifically think back on a time where Chris was like outwardly negative that it was noticeable. Obviously, it's their own experiences and their mom and they would know better unless this is just being used as a regular plot point. But it wasn't like anything specifically stood out to me where when they were talking about Courtney and saying, and Courtney saying, you know, I'm guilty of this as well. And Kim's kind of making a comment that she's the queen of it. That obviously I was like, yeah, I obviously know that to be true. But when Chris was saying it or they were saying it about Chris, I was like, hmm, that's an interesting point that I feel like hasn't really been brought up before. Yeah, we'll talk more about that as it goes on. But this entire thing, I don't know. I was just a little confused on it. Although I don't think that it was like just for the show because the way that they were all talking about it, it seems like, I guess, more of a present thing that maybe we just don't see as much. Or that we never picked up on. Although I will say, Em, Chris had every right to be annoyed about that construction. Julia, I was going to say to you that that scene, since we watched it last night, was foreshadowing for this morning. Let me just tell you guys, Julie and I tried to record the podcast for the last four hours. I almost started crying, which I never really do. I was just so overwhelmed and anxious. So I don't want to jinx anything because so far everything has been kosher. But I really understood her frustration. Me too. It was perhaps the most relatable part of the show of any season for me. No, honestly, same. It was was too relatable. I wish that it wasn't so relatable. Trust me, I'm same. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next scene, we're at Chloe's house, Chloe, Tristan, and Savas. And they're kind of just going over the house situation because, you know, Chloe did not expect that her house was going to sell this fast, but she got a great offer and the people want her out in a few weeks. And so for any human being, you know, no matter the level of goods that you have, no matter how wealthy you are, I think just moving is stressful. But I think specifically if you're Chloe out of all of them, who is so particular and has such a kind of control thing when it comes to her items and really every aspect of her life, this is probably like her worst nightmare. Oh, absolutely. I I think it's most people's, but for Chloe specifically, I was like, I really commend you for being able to do this because I know it is taking everything out of you to have to do this so quickly in such a way that you are not used to, nor would you want it to be. Yeah. Two other things that I want to mention here. The first is when Tristan made the comment saying like, you know, when's Chloe's house going to be ready? Not that we thought that they were living together, but it was very clear. And this entire episode made it very clear. They have two separate homes and that is going to be the plan. And he's not getting rid of his house anytime soon. It was interesting because the initial reports, even before we knew that Chloe and Chris were building a house on the same area together, the initial reports when we found out that Chloe was moving or Chloe was building a house, those reports said Tristan and Chloe building a house together. And it's very clear from this episode that that's not the case. Right. At the time, at least. Right. Totally. I mean, and the second thing that I wanted to say is obviously this was for the show, him taking all those pictures, but I loved this plot line. I don't care how bullshit it was. I thought it was so cute. <laughs> I can't lie and say I disagree. I thought it was truly adorable. 
I know. And, you know, he's taking a photo of the weekly flowers and the security system and all of these things that honestly, as anybody, but I think specifically as a woman are just really important to little aspects of the house that make you feel at home. Yeah, absolutely. When he when he looks at the paper towel paper towel holder and he's like, Oh, this is gonna look great next to my sink. I'm like, that is literally from Crate and Barrel. Like you could get that anywhere, Tristan. He said my double sink. Yeah, right. So next scene, we're back at Chloe's house. It's Chloe, Kim, and Scott. And this is the continuation of the whole thing with the kids in the show. And I'm just gonna read exactly what Scott said. He goes, So remember when we were talking yesterday about how the kids haven't seen the show, but eventually, overall in their lives, they're probably going to see different parts and pieces, whether they sit down and watch it or they see it on their phones, computers, iPads, whatever. I was thinking before everything ends, I wanted the kids to see where they came from, kind of, where you guys were born, where you grew up. And this is kind of when they start really going down the list of all the different places that they have lived and you know, the dash locations and just different spots that have been filmed throughout the show that really were so crucial to kind of their journey and rise to the top. Very much so. Yes. I loved this one little interaction when Scott is saying to Kim, you know, we have to go to your house in Beverly Hills. I love that house. The one you guys remember that house with the uh, driveway and, and that gate. And Kim's like, we thought that I made it guy. She goes, and I did, but we were like, Oh my God, I couldn't believe that I could have afforded that house. And I so vividly remember exactly what she's talking about and kind of just the collective excitement and almost awe that they were all in over the fact that Kim had bought that house, which of course it's a beautiful house no matter what it was back then and it is now, but it really just shows the the evolution of, of their wealth. Oh, very much so. And Scott makes a comment like, we couldn't even believe that it had a gate, let alone that you were living in Beverly Hills. And it is always so funny to me to hear them look back on that because I think at the time when they presented that, they were all really in shock about this house and really so excited for Kim. But it's just interesting to hear their personal perspective, especially in retrospect, about how they viewed that situation. Because for for me, I don't know if I viewed her living in a Beverly Hills house as anything other than the natural progression. And for them, it was very much like, we cannot believe this is our lives. We never thought we would get here. I honestly think that I do remember that. I because I feel like you know, something we talk about a lot now is how in a way they're just a little bit jaded or desensitized. There's nothing really material that excites them. And that to me is similar to how I perceived Kim to feel about her Bentley. It was like all the same kind of thing of like holy shit. So I feel like she did kind of portray that. Personally for me, I just remember that. No, I I do too. I think for me, I was like I think sometimes when I watch them be excited about things, because I have the knowledge that I know they're so jaded, even in those earlier seasons where they still were living in a beautiful ranch house in Calabasas and surrounded by so much wealth and Kim was best friends with Paris Hillen and you had that knowledge. For me, sometimes when I used to watch them, I would view their excitement about things as being like maybe a little bit for show just to seem somewhat relatable. Obviously, it was outside of the realm of relatability for the average person. But to go into a home in Beverly Hills and have that house and, you know, to feign excitement about it as if you can't believe it, to me, sometimes it felt a little bit for show to make people seem like, oh, yeah, we really can't believe it. Even though for a second, you were like, yes, you can. You've done so much. You're so rich. You're so present. You're everywhere. You have this massive reality show. So to hear them talk about it in retrospect is like, no, it really wasn't feigned excitement. It was real, genuine disbelief was so interesting for me to hear. 
Yeah. And honestly, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that Kim was just taken so not seriously in the early days. Like really, I mean, she was such a joke. And so the fact that she pushed through that time and was able to monetize it clearly into something huge. I just am glad that we've been along for the ride. I'm very glad that we've been along for the ride. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So this scene is probably the one, the episode hasn't come out yet, but I'm sure it will be the one that is getting the most attention and having the most articles because this was very, very intense. And like we said earlier, and as I'm looking at the transcript of it, I am having that same feeling. I cannot believe this was allowed to be put in, honestly. I really can't either. I know. Okay, let's let's get into it. So they're at the Malibu house. It's Chloe, Courtney, and Kim, which by the way, have you ever seen bigger hoops than what Chloe was wearing? You know Chloe and her hoops. I know. It's just I recently started wearing like gold hoops and I love it, but I get so conscious of them even when they're like a little bit big that I don't know how I would function with something that big. I know. You know what the beauty of being Chloe is and wearing big hoops? Mm-hmm. Is that anytime your earlobes start to stretch, you got someone right there putting them right back in place. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That is it's so true, Julie. <laughs> So this is when Courtney asks Kim, you know, did the nanny ever say anything to you? We're not saying her name because I don't know her name. They believed it. And Kim's like, yeah, we had a talk and she was crying and she thought she was going to lose her job. And this is when Courtney kind of explains to us in her confessional that Kim's nanny and her had a little bit of a disagreement when they were away traveling together. Kim, I guess, wasn't there. And, you know, she said, I haven't really spoken to Kim about it, so I want to see what's going on. And I don't know... I'll kind of just almost read verbatim what happened because I feel like the details are important. But Kim says to Courtney, she said that she felt so degraded by you and you just started yelling at her and you said, keep your voice down. Courtney goes, oh my God, she's lying. Rain told me this last time we were in Idaho. And Rain said to Courtney, whatever the nanny's name is, told me that I will go to jail if I talk in the car. And Rain is big on me confronting people in front of them. So even Sane, whoever, he'll say, Sane said this, can you please talk to him? Or Penelope said this, can you talk to her? Like he wants to know that I have his back in front of him. So he said, can you say to her right now that what she said to me last week about me going to jail? And Kim says back to her, but it should have been in private. The nanny said, I wish she would have tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, something's really bothering me. Can I talk to you? And we could have talked about it in private, but for her to yell, meaning the nanny said that about Courtney. And Courtney responds, not even 1% that I yelled. Chad was so shocked. He's a pastor. And he was like, I cannot believe that she would even speak like that. 
She's the one that raised her voice, which is why I said, lower your voice. Kim says, I mean, she went in the other room and was crying and making plans to go home. And I said to her, you're not fired. It's okay. We're going to talk about this. Courtney says, if you think she works for you, that's totally fine. She would never work for me with the way she acts. That's totally your choice. So she just said, Rain, boy, you're a liar. And I was like, excuse me, you're going to call a five-year-old a liar? Kim says, yeah, she definitely shouldn't have said that. But she told me that, you know, if you would have tapped her and said, hey, can we not talk about this in a very public restaurant? Courtney says back to her, no one could hear how loud I was talking though. I said it very quietly. And then you can see Courtney kind of getting increasingly upset. And she says to Kim, okay, I don't want to talk about this with you because you obviously don't get it. Kim says back, I like her. She's not getting fired. I like to keep my staff for a long time. So that's how I feel. Courtney goes, so keep her. She will never be around my kids. Kim says to Courtney, Courtney, you can't even keep a nanny. This is when it really escalates. And Courtney goes, okay, shut the fuck up. Honestly, the way you're talking is wild. And in her confessional, you can tell Courtney's really upset. And she's basically saying that Kim is kind of throwing lies and Courtney's walking away. She goes, you just keep projecting all your bullshit onto me. Kim goes, I have none. Courtney goes, Kim, look in the mirror. Kim says, I do every five minutes. Oh my God. Okay. This is so much. I keep going. Do you want to discuss this first part and then we'll get into the second because they feel like two separate topics? Yeah, let's do that. You go first. First of all, that Kim, I look in the mirror every five minutes line was just so great. That's going to be one that's going to be iconic for years to come. I think so too. Um, The way I feel about this scene is that it was definitely a, a very layered issue. It wasn't so straightforward of like Courtney was really degrading to the nanny and it was an awful situation. Obviously, Courtney had her feelings and her way of wanting to protect her kids. And we weren't there, but Courtney probably went about it a, a wrong way in a way that she thought was protective of her children, especially Rain, who, according to Courtney, is very big on things being said in front of him, which is very advanced for his age. And I think we can understand that Courtney, as a parent, would want to honor what Rain's wishes are, especially when he's showing his emotions in a way that she wants him to feel protected. And I completely understand that. I think the fact of the matter here is, is that I think Courtney, from what we've seen, doesn't always have the ability to acknowledge when she's speaking to somebody in a way that is degrading and is wrong and isn't right, especially when it comes to her perceived protection of her children. So for Kim to say, like, this obviously could have been handled very differently and Kim escalated the situation. But what Kim was saying in the sense of like, this is my nanny. This is somebody who works for us. And the way you speak to people is not okay. And if somebody feels degraded by you, especially somebody who is working for us, then that's something that we need to tackle. And I think that was the part of it that really should have been emphasized. Yes. There were two separate things happening here because I definitely think just take away even the context of what they were talking about. Kim has a way specifically as it applies to Courtney where, and I fucking love Kim. She's my favorite, but she almost has this mean streak when it comes to Courtney and she likes to make her upset. I don't think Courtney's wrong in that. That being said, what they were actually talking about, I kind of was agreeing with Kim just because you're right. Like, of course, Courtney's intentions were not malicious in any way, but you have to understand that you're talking to a person who works for the family, specifically that works for Kim. And, you know, I just think it's a really high pressure job and I'm sure that they treat their staff very well. That's what we have always heard. That being said, I very much can understand Courtney not understanding that the way she intended it would not be the way that it was received. And like, can I say something else that I don't know if you're going to agree with because I don't even know if it's right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So 
what you were saying earlier about how, you know, Rain asking that of Courtney in general is a very advanced thing and Courtney wants to honor that as a mother. Like I get it and obviously not a parent. So I, the last thing I would ever do is critique her parenting style. Like she's doing a phenomenal job. I don't know though, as I was watching it, and again, I could be a hundred percent wrong. I'm just giving my reaction. I don't know how you guys will feel about this. Is like on a certain level, I obviously understand wanting to honor your child's wishes. And of course you want to make your kid feel safe. But at a certain point, I think you have to understand, you know what, this is a conversation that I need to have in private with this woman who works for the family. And I feel like there's a certain level of respect for the nanny to say, Rain, I'm going to handle this in private. I promise you, you know, I got this, but I kind of agree with what Kim was saying. You know, you kind of, it seems to me like something that you pull the nanny aside for. I wasn't there, so I don't know. It probably sounds really stupid coming from me because we're just hearing it. But I don't know if I necessarily agree with Courtney's logic that a five-year-old comes before like the respect level of an adult that works for you. It just sounded a little off to me. Is that totally wrong? No, I don't disagree with you at all. I 100% agree that this is something that could have and should have been handled in private. The way that I was viewing it was I don't agree with how it's handled, but based on what I know and have observed about Courtney's parenting style, it very much matches up with what we've seen of Courtney. And it makes sense that she would handle it in that way. And that Rain expressing to her that he feels strongly about things handled being in front of him so that he knows that Courtney has him and has his back. I just understand that that is very on par with the way that Courtney would handle things for her kids. It's not necessarily the way that I would do it. Again, I'm not a parent. It's not the way that my parents would have done things or what I've observed. Um, But I do understand just from Courtney's perspective as Courtney's style of parenting, why she would have done that. Yeah. I've been like, obviously I was a babysitter for a very long time. I've been in situations where, you are with the kids and the parents. And I think anybody who has been in that situation can understand that it is not always the most comfortable position to be in when you're watching someone else's kids and their parent is also there. It creates for kind of, I mean, in my case, and I think for a lot of people, other people may have very differing opinions on this. It creates for a somewhat uncomfortable environment. You don't really know what your role is. You don't really know a hundred percent of the time how you're supposed to act or what kind of like disciplinary power you have when the parent is also there. So I think that as a parent, your job is also not only to make your kids understand that you have their back, I think you should always do that, but to also make somebody who may not necessarily feel like they're in the most comfortable position, feel extremely comfortable in your presence. And regardless of what happened, Courtney clearly didn't do that. Totally, Julie. Two things. First of all, yes, about what you said about like babysitting when the parents are there. That was always my, I I didn't like it because I did not like feeling like, the disciplining thing was kind of split. It was very bizarre. It's like on one hand, the parent wants you to discipline their kid, but how are you supposed to do that if they're also there? It's just, it's very uncomfortable. And I so hear you again. I don't know if other people will feel that. And you've had much more babysitting experience than me, but in my experience, I definitely like hardcore was nodding when you were saying that. But secondly, I think the element that can't be ignored here is that it's not her nanny. So at the end of the day, it's somebody that was taking care of her child. So of course she's going to feel a sense of protectiveness. And I think that's the most normal thing ever. That being said, that nanny is not completely 
used to or as familiar with Courtney's communication style as she is with Kim's. So I think you have to even have another level of kind of like grace or sensitivity when you're dealing with somebody who doesn't work with you as frequently as they work with your sibling. Working for Kim and working for Courtney, to me, I would imagine is two completely different worlds. Oh, absolutely. And I think something that we can all agree on is that I don't think it's fair to judge Courtney's uh, interaction with the people that work on her based on this one incident. I don't think it's fair to judge anybody based on one single thing that's going on. But we have definitely heard things in the past about maybe Courtney being more difficult than the others to work for, maybe Courtney's staff changing over more times than the others, as opposed to Chloe and Kim who have had theirs for a very long time. I think that what we can agree on regardless is that it is a very true showing of character how you treat the people that work for you or how you treat waitstaff or anybody. I think that that is something that is just a universal truth and it shows your character. So I can't say for certain that Courtney's character is being shown in this situation, but I think that it would be impossible to ignore the fact that when Kim said you can't keep a nanny or you can't keep a staff member, it was a larger picture being painted there. Yeah, but the thing is, because obviously I like so agree, it's like the biggest testament to one's character. The thing that was a little confusing to me is when Courtney then says that that was a lie. And then later on when they're talking about it, how she said like, so you were just spitting out lies. And Kim says, yeah. I don't know if that was kind of like backpedaling to tell the viewers that that's not the case. You know, maybe it's happened one other time and Kim was making it into a bigger thing, but it felt like, holy shit, should she just really say that out loud? Because that's actually the truth. And then like, wait a second, I have to try to figure out how to say that's not true. I don't know. I don't know. It's so complicated. And I also understand that as a parent, your number one thing is your children. It's like, it's just fucked up. The whole thing is fucked up. And I felt for, I felt for the nanny the most, obviously, but I also felt for corny that that conversation was happening in the way as it was on camera. I still can't believe that that was, that that took place on camera. I'm obviously happy it did. I think it's an interesting thing to discuss and very, very interesting insight because you, you'd get very little about the nannies and their interactions and their roles. So that fight right there gave us so much information just from an interest perspective, but I was shocked that that was allowed to take place because it, it definitely didn't paint Courtney in the light. I think she thought it did. I think maybe Courtney allowed it to be in because A, it showed the fact that Kim will just say things to dig under Courtney's skin. And by the way, even if that is true and Courtney was trying to play it off as it isn't, it was clearly a sensitive subject for her and something that she's not proud of. So even Kim throwing that out there just to hurt her, it's not necessarily she was throwing it out because it was a lie, but she was definitely throwing it out to be very spiteful and mean. Um, but I think for Courtney, maybe the reason that she allowed that to be in is because it showcased her as a parent and maybe a parenting style that she feels really strongly about showing off. I'm not 100% sure, but I again, I was shocked, shocked that they allowed that to be in. Julie, same. Like, honestly, I'm going to throw that in my top 10 most shocked moments of things that were included. I, I don't know if people will agree, but I kind of do too. I don't care if people agree. That's how I felt personally. It was just because like, this is why it's so di- you, this is why when you're watching Kardashians you have to like think of it in such a different way than watching any housewives or any bravo show like at the end of the day they have the final power that's why it's more shocking right yeah so anyway going back when 
Courtney goes away and Chloe kind of goes to check on her, Chloe is saying in her confessional that 90% of these fights escalate because they start throwing insults back at each other, getting negative. And just that like there's this heavy, disgusting, negative energy and it's infects everyone. And so Courtney's crying in the bathroom. Chloe goes to check on her and Courtney's saying like, it's fucked up. She's the person that uses shit against you. You know, it makes me question, why would you treat your family like that? Why would you want to portray me in this way that's not even true? It's just bizarre. And they're all now, I mean, Courtney and Chloe, both together and separately in their confessional are acknowledging that there's a lot of negativity. And again, I just want to make the point, I always knew that to be the case between Kim and Courtney, but the fact that they're all making it out to be as if it's this thing that's looming in the family is not something I necessarily thought was running as rampant as they made it out to be. So I was like, oh shit. I think the idea that you just dig the deepest, especially, especially in sibling fights and sister fights specifically as the middle of three girls, I can tell you that there is a lot of times where you know that you can just say whatever is going to hit the hardest because A, you got to be forgiven at the end of the day and it naturally will happen. And B, that boundary that you have when you're speaking to other people that aren't your siblings stops you from saying most things when you're in a fight. It's like that voice in your head pops in when you're talking to somebody who isn't your sibling where you say like, okay, can't say that. That's too far. I find oftentimes this is such a universal thing that when you're fighting with your sisters, you're fighting with your siblings, that voice goes away because you know you have free reign to kind of throw out whatever you want and there won't be really lasting consequences for the most part, depending on your relationship with your siblings. So what they were experiencing and what they were saying was obviously very specific to the way they fight, but was also very universal at the same time. Right. I mean, I'm an only child. I can't relate to that, but I hear what you're saying and I've definitely been around it enough. For me, it was like, in addition to just the sibling dynamic, I felt like they were hinting at a level of negativity that was just there in general. I mean, they even discussed it with Chris. And so it's just, I don't know. It it seems like maybe it was heightened now more than ever. And I wonder if that's just because a bigger life, bigger problems, you know, when they were, when they had less and there were less nannies and less staff and less security and less things, maybe the fights weren't as intense. And I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, but I definitely think in recent seasons, we've seen maybe their fights intensify, but fights have always been a thing that they've had. It's, it's definitely been a part of the show. So I think that in terms of the negativity that they're talking about, maybe it's not general negativity as we would view it, but it's just in the way that they interact with each other where sometimes they'll just throw things out and a lot of times it escalates into a fight and a lot of times they just let it go so it won't, but they're obviously upset. I wouldn't say they're negative people. I don't think they have a very negative view of the world. That's not a way that I would describe them, but definitely in their interactions with each other, they dig very deep and they hit where hurts the most and that's the negativity I think they're talking about. Yeah, no, definitely. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 
This next scene when Scott takes Penelope, Mason, and Rain, and Kim takes North and Saint to the condo that Courtney and Scott, you know, had Mason and lived in. I know that the kids were completely unimpressed and really didn't understand the gravity of it, which I very much I mean can get there too young, but for me, I felt like Kim and Scott in that moment. I was like, holy shit, this is surreal being back here. It was so crazy. Like watching them walk through that house with their kids was like, oh my God, there was so much that happened in that little condo, especially just Chloe and Courtney living there in the first place. And when they're showing Mason the room and they're like, you know, Coco used to live here and then it became your room. I was like, how is Mason not losing his shit right now? I know in a few years he will. I mean, when Scott says, you know, one time mommy got really mad at daddy and she threw all of his clothes over this banister. I was like, I remember that so vividly. And you guys don't even know how big of a deal that was at the time. Scott saying that was so funny because it felt like such a joke for us that he knew would go over right over Mason's head. Yeah. <laughs> the kids were so not getting it. Kids typically don't, I think, understand like the gravity that their parents feel about sentimental things. I think that just is something that comes with age when you get older and you start to understand why your parents feel a certain way about a certain thing. But Mason has no memories in that house and no connection to it. But for Scott and Kim, that was such a big deal. Like I know for me, whenever I drive home a certain way, my mom drives past our old house and I have such few memories in there that I'm always like, why are we going out of our way to drive past our old house for no reason? But I know my mom specifically does that for a very important reason every single time we're driving home that way. So like, I so get the differences there. Yeah, very much so. I find myself doing that with my grandma's house, you know, and it was sold years ago, but I do it every single time just because it brings back so much nostalgia for me. Of course, right. So next scene, we're at Courtney's house, and this is when Kim comes in and she's kind of apologizing, just saying, you know, I haven't seen you. I wanted to come over and talk. I'm sorry for arguing with you and bringing up a whole bunch of other stuff that didn't have to do with our fight. And, you know, they kind of really get into it, not in a bad way, but like, they discuss it more than just the basic top level. I would say that Courtney was a little bit more engaged here than she typically is. I don't know if you felt that way. Yeah, I definitely did. And she says, you know, I I feel like it's like, are you just making up a bunch of stuff or are you like, she was actually degrading nannies or are you just spewing bullshit to piss me off? And Kim goes, more pissing you off. Courtney's like, yeah, I don't know why we do that. We all do it in this family. It's really hurtful. She's like, I mean, I used to definitely do it more. And Kim's like, yeah, you were the queen of it. I learned it from you. And they kind of are just talking about how they feel that there's this tone that comes up where it's just really aggressive and kind of like shooting daggers and they just don't want that to be the case anymore. And I think that it was actually a nice moment because they seem to be on the same page about things about each of themselves that they wanted to change. Yeah, it was because typically a fight like this would have really dragged on. And for both of them to be able to understand that like, if you're having a disagreement, that moment that you hit the point where you're just throwing out things to be mean and spiteful, everything else that you're talking about and discussing is not going to be solved because you've immediately changed the tone of the conversation to something hostile and making a fight rather than a discussion where you're trying to accomplish something. And I think for both of them who were really trying to get their point across in this moment and trying to make a point that didn't need to be a fight, both of them really recognized that it was so counterproductive for them to just escalate the situation, specifically Kim, which is why I think Kim very much went back and was the first one to apologize because she was she was like, this isn't helping anything. And for her to get to that point was 
I think, a lot of self-realization for Kim because she typically doesn't do that, especially with Courtney. Yeah. Don't you kind of agree with what I said earlier that it seems to be like there's this mean streak with Kim that only comes out as it applies to Courtney? Yes, because I think that I think Kim just mimics what she expects of Courtney or what she has expected of Courtney in the past to do. So, you know, I think for Chloe, who's a little bit more sensitive, they never really fight with her that way because I don't think she typically escalates it to that point. But with Kim and Courtney, they both do that where they'll just throw out whatever is the meanest thing they could possibly say. And I think in this circumstance, Kim is probably typically used to the fact that she'll serve something mean out and Courtney will give it right back. And instead of doing that this time, Kim said something that maybe crossed the line or hit a really sensitive subject or a really like deep point that she didn't have to hit. And instead of Courtney reacting that way, Courtney just kind of removed herself from the situation. And I think that left Kim with a lot of guilt about like, okay, if she's not going to give it back to me, then I can't be the one to serve it. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. Right. Anyway, we're at Chloe's house, just really quickly only mentioning this scene because, you know, she's FaceTiming Chris and just showing her the house cleaned out. And, you know, this was kind of the first house that she bought on her own. And I wouldn't say that I, like as a viewer, feel necessarily connected to Chloe's house. There are definitely houses that I would feel like I know better than hers. I know that's a weird thing to say, but just through the show. But you could tell that it was kind of emotional for her, which is very understandable. Oh, that's interesting because I feel very connected to Chloe's house. Really, you do? Yes, very much so. I think that, well, first of all, she's been in that house for a very long time. Most of the other ones, there's like a very high turnover rate with houses, although Courtney's been there for a very long time too. But I think so many of the Keeping Up with the Kardashian scenes have taken place specifically at Chloe's, especially her backyard. I think we know the layout and the ins and outs of that house better than the other houses because of the amount of filming that's taken place. And we just recently watched her go through this whole renovation where she changed so many things about the house. So to watch her sell it, I was like, oh, I really, I really very much feel what she's going through with this house. It feels more sentimental to me than the others. Obviously, like it's not as sentimental as say Chris's old house or the original Calabasas ranch. But I think that Chloe's house is definitely one of the center points of that franchise. Yeah, I guess that's true. I I know I I vicariously understood the sentiment. For me, it was more, I guess I'm just comparing everything, honestly, to Chris's old house that Rob lives in and the Calabasas. Like to me, those are, will forever be the number two. And then honestly, Courtney's backyard for some reason, I just think about a lot. (laughs) I love Courtney's backyard. Like even Kim, she's had this house for a while now. I don't, there's no, to me, there's no like attachment there. It's just too, um, it's too sterile uh, for me to feel that sense of warmth when I think of it. Yeah, but Chloe's house feels warm to me. It does feel warm. It does feel warm. Aside from, I fucking hate those floors. I hate like that dark black lacquer, whatever you call it. Lacquer floors. Yeah, I, I do. I, it's, it's not my taste. Also, it, it's so shocking to me that she has those because she's so clean and like hates any sort of a mess. And those floors show everything, every scuff. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. 
Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, co-insurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Next scene, it's Courtney, Chloe, and Scott. They're back in the Malibu house. And this is when they kind of have the idea of the negativity jar. So anytime there's something negative, they put money in it and they're going to make it a full family exercise. Nothing really to mention here other than Courtney making that comment about like the shooting pain in her vagina and Scott asking about it and me turning into like a 13 year old in eighth grade. (laughs) Yeah. I was like so immature in that one moment. (laughs) I know. I was like, did Scott just ask Courtney a question about her vagina? (laughs) Okay. Next scene, we're at Tristan's house. Chloe comes in, Tristan and Savas are already there. And you see, she's kind of very impressed by the way that it smells and all the little details that he's added. And it was really sweet. I mean, I know in this moment, she wasn't necessarily showing appreciation. She was more so just being very observant. But I felt like Tristan was the equivalent of when you're a little kid and you redo your room and you show your parents and you're kind of like sitting there just waiting for them to say something really good about it and like to compliment you on the new design that you did. That's how I felt. That is such an amazing comparison. (laughs) Thank you. That is exactly what it was. Tristan's also so funny to me in this moment where Chloe's walking around and she's like, you got these new candles. And he's like, yeah, I just saw them on Pinterest. Like who taught Tristan about Pinterest? I know. She's like, are you on my Pinterest board? (laughs) I just, it was very sweet. I can't help it. I thought the whole thing was really sweet. Him organizing the pantry with the labels and the drinks in the fridge. Like it was exactly what, Chloe is. But I have to say what was really surprising for me is when he first started doing this and taking the photos of the house, I thought he very much was going to make the point of being like, why don't you stay here instead of moving into the rental? Like it's perfectly great and it has everything you like and your fresh flower deliveries every morning and your drinks are organized. But it was more so that she felt comfortable when she does come over rather than like, please live here while you are waiting for your house to be built. Um, which I guess I also appreciated because it wasn't any pressure on Chloe. It was just like, I want you to be able to feel comfortable. Yeah. I was like fully not expecting what happened. I thought it was going to be much more of a push for her to move in there, but I actually appreciated this better because it was like, when you are here, I want you to feel at home. But the thing with them, like the Kardashians women specifically is they do each have things that make their homes, their homes that are very particular. So with, you know, Chloe, it's the cookie jars or whatever the thing is, it's the flowers. And probably more than your average person, those are very important to them, specifically to her. And so you're allowed to dislike Tristan or be pissed at him for the cheating stuff and also simultaneously think that this is a cute gesture. And I would be lying if I said this isn't a cute gesture. Yes, absolutely. So next scene, we're in Kim's theater room with Scott, Courtney, Kim, and the kids. And, you know, Scott is kind of telling them that they had clips put together where the kids were in and you know, obviously I think the kids started to get it, but not fully. Again, they're just too young. But for me as a viewer watching this, 
I thought this was such a special moment, not only to watch it, like let's say this was just a YouTube clip, I would have watched it and felt definitely a sense of nostalgia, but to watch them watch it with their children, to watch Mason sitting next to Courtney while she literally pulls him out of her to deliver him was really, I thought, a very special experience. I did too. And and to watch all of them kind of sitting on the couch crying with their kids watching it was was so sweet. And I did feel like the kids were gaining a level of appreciation that the house just obviously didn't provide. And I think as a kid, especially when you're a really young kid, to view yourself as a baby or view your siblings as a baby is a very crazy experience. And I'm sure they've seen a bunch of home videos and home tapes, but I think they were really starting to grasp what it was like for their parents to watch this back, especially Courtney sitting there crying and, and Penelope's asking her why she's crying. And Courtney's like, why are you crying? She's like, I'm not crying. My eyes are watering because it's so gross because they're watching the scenes where they're giving birth to Mason and Penelope and North and all the, it was just so sentimental and so sweet. And to watch Scott in those scenes where him and the kids are our babies. And it was just, I was so happy to be able to see them do this with their kids. It was really special. I, I so agree with you. It was a really beautiful moment. And I just think no matter who the family is, any family that you watch for 20 seasons that lets you into their lives in as deep of a way that they have, you just feel a sense of connection. And it was very cool, honestly, to feel like you were there for those things. You know, you're not seeing these videos for the first time. You remember that and you're excited to watch Mason watch it because you remember watching it when you were, you know, younger. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say my mom recently like put all of our home videos online and she has them all on this one app. And to be able to have those is the most special thing in the entire world. And as they get older and older, they're obviously going to appreciate that more. Plus the fact that on top of that, it is just an iconic show that was shot in the highest production value like of any home video ever. It's just I'm so happy for them that they're able to have that as happy as I am for the, their parents to have that for the kids. It's so special too, because they're obviously not going to have any memories of these things. Right. Totally. Totally. So next scene, we're at Tristan's house. I think I accidentally skipped the scene earlier. It wasn't that important, but just the one where Tristan and Kim were kind of talking and he was just explaining the changes that he made and how Chloe wasn't necessarily warming up to it. And, you know, it, it was kind of funny and, you see Kim in her confessional basically saying like, Tristan just tries so hard and she just wants, I think, Chloe to acknowledge it a little bit more. So that one little dynamic, again, I, I think I accidentally skipped it, but it was just kind of fun to watch because we know that I think out of everyone, Tristan finds the most safety in Kim as it applies to talking about things with Chloe. Yeah, absolutely. I so, so agree. But anyway, they're there and you know, he's saying to Chloe, I hopefully I didn't offend you by copying a lot of your ideas. I just wanted to make sure you felt comfortable for you and true. And Chloe's like, no, I'm sorry if I came off that I was annoyed. I'm not. It was just cute. I was just kind of confused. And it was sweet when they were in their confessional. And when she was saying in their joint confessional, you know, Tristan is so sweet and thoughtful and doing all these things to make me comfortable. I was like... <laughs> It was kind of like when they say at a wedding when the bride walks down the aisle and everybody looks at the groom. I was just looking at Tristan because I felt like he was beaming. Like I, there's no time that I feel he's happier than when they're on camera and Chloe is outwardly praising him. Yeah, I so agree. Also, one quick thing that I picked up on that I'm not sure if it's right or if you even picked up on it, but at the very end of Tristan's confessional, when he says like, we're a team, I got you. 
and he puts his head on her shoulder and she goes, oh, was that the exact same confessional that they used twice? Or did he just happen to say the exact same thing and put his head on the his head on her shoulder in the exact same way and her react the same way? So interesting now that you say it. Because um, that is exactly what happened when they were having the surrogate conversation. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a really good point that I wish I, I looked up. It was very similar. I mean, listen, we know that they shoot the confessionals you know, a bunch of different episodes, confessionals the same day, obviously. So it's very possible, but it could have happened twice. I don't know. I'm sure somebody's going to now go watch it. I, we can't watch it because we're recording, but that's an interesting point. I'm so curious if they just use the exact same thing twice. I don't, I feel like they wouldn't, but also I have no idea. Can somebody report back? <laughs> I definitely have never noticed them doing that in the past. It was the first time that I ever was like, oh, that's really very interesting and very exactly the same as what has already happened. It totally could be. Oh, please, somebody go watch it back. I'm sure we will too, but <laughs> just, we can't do it in this episode. Um, anything else you want to mention? I just have – wait, Julie. I have to say something. Today really turned around. Like this morning, I was literally on the verge of tears because we were trying for hours. And then once we started, I was like, holy shit, this is such a good episode to talk about. It really turned around. And now that we've gotten to the point where no matter what happens, we have already recorded the entire episode and I have full faith that it will upload and save and we will be okay. I was not having it this morning. And I was like, and the only reason that I wasn't like fully freaking out or fully like just overwhelmingly stressed is because I was like, wait, I can't be because she's also equally as overwhelmingly stressed. But (laughs) Thank God is all I'll say. I know. Thank God. Well, I think also for you, you're like, you know that I had to do two more segments of Bravo. <laughs> so right. it's like, it's like if, if it fucks up for this one, then I'm really fucked. But yeah, I just, this just turns around. I, I, it can't be a coincidence that everything started to turn around the second I started drinking the cold brew with a shot of espresso that had to have helped. I, I would agree. Yes. Julie and I turn into, I don't even know what, what happens in the, when, when these things go wrong. We just really get in our heads. It, it turns dark. It turns very dark. And I knew today it was specifically dark for you is because typically I'm the one that's really like, you can hear it in my voice and you're like, it's okay. We're going to figure it out. And today there was no attempt at calming me down. It was just like, what the fuck do we do? I know. I sent Julie a voice note. This is the last thing I'll say in the, in the episode. I sent Julie a voice note when I was walking up the stairs and I I, as I was sending it to you, it was like probably 80% to calm myself down. And I was like, okay, I'm walking up the stairs so far. There is not a sound. I'm going to say a prayer to the universe that the Wi-Fi will be okay, that Zen will be okay. And like, I just was sending it to you and really talking myself through it. And we just said a prayer together and thankfully everything is okay in this moment. Thankfully. Yeah. Well, anyway, guys, we love you so much. Isabel and I will see you tomorrow. God willing, this fucking Bravo thing works. And Julie and I will see you on Monday. I hope you have the best weekend. I'm so glad that we did this episode and love you guys to pieces. Thank you for listening. Oh, wait, did you end it? No. Okay, one other thing. Don't forget that every episode for the rest of this month, we're putting in three API owned businesses. So make sure to check those out. They will be in the description of this episode. Okay, love you guys. 